Hey everyone, and welcome back to There Was an Idea. In this episode, we're fighting an army of robots, and I have a bow and arrow. I'm joined by three of my former students, Emily, Rachel, and Brooke, who bring unique perspectives to Avengers Age of Ultron based on their current areas of study in college, social work, education and literature, and 3D animation, respectively. They are all talented young people who I'm immensely proud of, and I'm super excited for you all to hear our equal parts insightful and humorous discussion. Big spoiler warning, not just for Ultron, but also for Endgame. And we also wanted to include a trigger warning on this one for multiple mentions of death and suicide. Enjoy the episode. I am TK of New York, and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm a high school teacher by day, and I'm also a huge fan of pop culture. And this is There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that finds itself at the place where those two things meet. Join me and some special guests as we explore the MCU through concepts in the humanities. Spoiler alert, one of those concepts is intertextuality, and as such, each episode of this podcast will likely contain spoilers for multiple films in the MCU. Thinkers, inquirers, and lovers of entertainment, assemble. So today I'm joined by not one or two, but three guests who all have something very special in common. These three people are graduates of the high school where I work. Two of them, in fact, I taught in my U.S. history or economics classes a few years ago. I'm thrilled to have them on the podcast today, and I'm sure they'll end up teaching me a thing or two as we discuss Avengers Age of Ultron. First up, we have Emily Calloway. Hi, I'm Emily Calloway. I'm at Skidmore College. Any pronouns work? I got my braces off in eighth grade. (laughs) (laughs) College introduction. Uh, This is my major. These are my pronouns. This is a cool fact. (laughs) Thanks for sharing that, Emily. (laughs) Next, we have Rachel Genualdo. Hi, I'm Rachel. I go to SUNY New Paltz, and I'm an education major. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I don't know. I have a cat named Muffin. And finally, we have someone whose name... You will recognize if you listen to my episodes all the way to the end and or read the notes. It's our podcast cover artist, Brooke Pender. Yeah, bit of a celebrity. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm Brooke. I'm a 3D animation major at Pratt Institute. Oh, we're doing fun facts. I um, eat my bagels in a circle, (laughs) in a perfect circle. What, like you eat the edge? Yeah, like I eat my bagels. No. Like a circular motion. Oh. That's a separate topic. I do a weird thing, too. I just put the cream cheese. I don't cut the bagel. I just put the cream cheese on, like, that, on the skin. Like, like on the the outside. On the skin top of the bagel? That is... Yeah, I just put it on the bagel. (laughs) And then I call it skin. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're a few minutes into recording. We've already talked about bagel skin. Uh, So that's great. (laughs) All right, so before we get into the movie, I want each of you to quickly share a little bit about your relationship to the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Rachel, why don't you start? I started watching the movies like consistently and like getting really into them when Infinity War was about to come out and I caught up with all of them so I could watch Infinity War and it's like a pastime that me and my mom do all the time so we always rewatch the movies together and talk about our theories and stuff. I growing up really didn't have uh, too much of a connection to them until I started watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that's where I like 
kind of got intrigued, but like I didn't fully catch up yet. I think till around the same time till I saw Infinity War, and even now I'm still not completely caught up with everything. But um, <clears throat> I kind of became more of a fan. And then when Captain Marvel came out, it was over. <laughs> then that was that was it. <laughs> but yeah, and then um, I started catching up around then. But yeah, I'd say it started with Agents of Shield. Um, I've been into Marvel Cinematic Universe since seventh grade. Gone to most of the movies in the theaters. I've seen each one multiple times, except Hulk. I've never watched that one. Never. Um, no, I haven't. <laughs> and then I'm pretty involved in fandom online. Like I'm on like MCU Twitter, written and read fan fiction. I've done it all. That's awesome. Thank you. So it sounds like we have a, a range of experiences here, which is great. And I'm excited to to hear your perspectives on on this movie. So I have a, a brief challenge for you. Three words or less. Describe Avengers Age of Ultron. I didn't come prepared for that. <laughs> Needed more Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, since three words or less, coming together. Oh, oh. okay. I like that. Dominique Provo Chocolate. <laughs> That's mine. All right. So this is a movie that I've gone back and forth on in terms of how much I like it. And the amount that I like it is not necessarily equivalent to how good I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm sure we'll kind of get into that a little bit more later. But it, it's got some things I don't like at all. But it also has some moments in it that I find truly delightful. So, for example, the, the farewell party scene. You know, who doesn't love Revels, right? Mm -hmm. um, I have never more wanted to be among the Avengers and to dress up super fancy and to attend one of their parties. Like, I, that was pretty great. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, they did a, a really great job of making it look like these people are actually mm -hmm. friends with each other. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk more about that later, too. So for now, I'm just going to leave my personal feelings there because we have a lot to discuss today. So when Avengers Age of Ultron came out in 2015, it had the task of bringing together the heroes who we saw develop in Phase 2 movies, specifically Iron Man 3, Winter Soldier, and Thor The Dark World, while laying the groundwork for the super ambitious Phase 3. Writer and director Joss Whedon, who you heard Colleen and I discuss quite a bit on our episode on the first Avengers movie, returned for this one, and he has publicly discussed how making this movie was a big challenge for him. He parted ways with Marvel Studios soon afterward, and he said this about the movie in an interview. He said, quote, When I watch it, I just see flaw, 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 compromise, laziness, mistake. Um, <laughs> so there's <sad>. that. <laughs> um, however, this movie was still hugely successful. And it plays, I think, a, a very important role in the development of the collective identity of the Avengers. So let's get into it. I read a master's thesis on it. <laughs> Just to prepare. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's very interesting. It's about the lack of diversity. Mm. Yeah. The thesis was okay written, but <laughs> it was like, it was good. Oh, but like the typical Marvel one-liners that were in this movie were like good. Yeah, like the, 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 yeah. the writers had a fun time. I agree. Um, <laughs> my favorite. Can we hold them? They're the Avengers. <laughs> like I just, uh, every time, I'll, I'll bring it up forever. So one of the things that we talked about uh, when we discussed the 2012 Avengers movie was the ways in which these team-up movies deal with all of these Avengers who have their own very unique stories coming together and working to 
some degree of success or another together as a team. There's a lot that we can kind of trace related to that, um, including specific relationships among certain of the team members or with regard to this idea about what does it mean to be an Avenger and to be a member of this team. I find it really interesting that you consider them all to be friends, specifically through the party scene, because all I see when I watch this movie is leading up to Captain America's Civil War, where everything falls apart. You have Clint lying about having a family. You have mm-hmm. Tony and Banner going off, creating two different artificial intelligences twice and knowing it's wrong both times. <laughs> and you have like, it's just all these different like components. Mm-hmm that none of them are talking about. Mm. And so, like, I just, I never got the sense of them being friends besides having their own friends within the group. Like, um, mm. Rhodey and Tony, um, Nat and Clint, Sam and Steve. But even that's, like, pushed to the side in this. They have, like, one scene. It's interesting. Like, I see this movie as the, like, one of the fissures that lead to Civil War, which it is because of um, the deaths in... Age of Ultron that leads to the future, but yeah. It also definitely like sets up what sides everyone's on too, because you start to see them like interacting with certain people who they like agree with in this movie that end up being on like their quote unquote team in Civil War. Also, there was for I I thought that there was foreshadowing when like the whole scene with Tony seeing everyone like dead on the hill where Captain America's shield was like completely like destroyed in half. The symbol of America cut in half. Yeah, I think to pick up on a couple of things that you guys are saying, I, I I think you're right, Emily. Like I quickly before I was like, oh, great. Like it looks like they're friends. They're having this, this party and they do things together. And there are parts in this movie where they're working well together as a team. But do they like each other? There's always so much tension um, in their relationship. And you're right that there are these pre-established friendships in that group. I think I just really like the party scene because I want them to be friends. <laughs> Me too. It's um, like my headcanon. <laughs> it's because they're all the co-workers. Yeah, like, that was a cute one. I they, like they meet through work. They don't meet under other circumstances. Some of them, I can see, like, I really think they'd be able to have a friendship if they met outside of this need to be a superhero mm-hmm. and need to save. Um, like we know Sam and Steve do. Rhodey does with Tony. Um, Nat and Clint. That's how, like, they have, like, these kind of friendships, and they all bring them together. Right. And that starts the future of what we know as the current Avengers compared to what it was pre-Civil War. And that's what's in this movie, which is kind of this white, high SES, cisgender, straight team. And then you have all of them bring in the different aspects of their lives to create this new Avengers. So this is, like, definitely pre current what we know now so like it's right. weird to look back and see how it used to be it's really interesting because like the original avengers is just kind of like how they came together but then age of ultron definitely shows like it goes more in depth of like mm-hmm. what coming together meant for everyone right from the very beginning um the movie opens where we're thrown into action with them and it's been a couple of years since the Avengers movie. So there's this sense that, like you said, Emily, like they've established a coworker relationship and they're working pretty well together. Thor and Steve have this like hammer and shield move mm-hmm. that they've got down yeah, pretty well. My favorite thing. Yeah, I love that so much. <laughs> and then you have the shield and hammer come back in Endgame. And again, yeah. that duo, mm-hmm. like those two symbols together, I love. 
Yeah, that's great. And you can tell that they all kind of have their roles, like when they're in this first, um, you know, adventure scene in the beginning, and they can joke with each other, and they're actually communicating pretty well, much better than they communicated in the Avengers, and much better than they will communicate in Civil War, other than, as you said, like those little factions that develop among them. They all take care of Clint when he gets injured, and they're all, you know, ready for ready for their revels. So as, as you were kind of saying, Rachel, like, Compared with the first Avengers movie, in, in that movie, they were they were assembling, right? They were building mm-hmm. the team and working together to defeat this, this external force of Loki. And in this movie, it's different, right? Because the, the team has been assembled. So you, you start the movie in this place where they're actually pretty solid, but then you kind of see it break down throughout the movie. But I was kind of thinking that like, if in the Avengers, they have to come together to face Loki... In this movie, they're working together, but then what happens is that they, they're they fractured, but what is the cause of them being fractured? Is it more the external force of, you know, Scarlet Witch getting into their heads and Ultron, or is it more actually something internal to who they are as people and to what their team is? Okay, I feel like um, Scarlet Witch kind of showed cracks that already were there, so with Tony's vision and Steve's vision, both of them were personal to their own fears. But whereas Tony, um, we knew that he was hurting from it. Steve, he kind of kept it quiet. And you see that come out in the um, wood chopping scene where Tony confronts him. He's like, I can't trust a guy who has secrets or whatever. Or like he says something along the lines of you don't really have as much depth. And Steve says this like stupid line of like, you just don't know or whatever from having those visions and their reactions to them kind of show them where there already were cracks. So it's kind of like a mix of like both Scarlet Witch and problems they already had. Yeah, it's definitely like when the Scarlet Witch like comes in, it's kind of like how we feel as the viewer. Like we see the problems that they have, but they don't see them. So she kind of just like is us and exploits them and is like, hey, these are the issues you guys are having. You guys will destroy yourselves from the inside before I can do anything. Yeah, she's playing on on their insecurities and their deep, dark fears that they haven't even necessarily told each other, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also Tony, and I don't know how you guys feel about Tony, but like, he really causes a problem here when he persuades Bruce to, you know, work with him to create the artificial intelligence, as you said before, twice. <laughs> and, and like, that's, you know, he, um, he just so strongly believes that he is right, that that's going to get in, get in the way of the team, no matter what, it's always going to get in the way of the team. I mean, we can look ahead toward Endgame and see, you know, where Tony's story goes, but at least in these earlier movies, like, I just feel like he is such a barrier to them working well together. Well, I definitely agree with that. I was watching it also as, with the perspective of, I haven't really seen many of the Iron Man movies, right? I watched Avengers uh, and then immediately watched the second one. So I'm kind of looking at a perspective just from the first to the second. Mm-hmm. But Obviously, going for the first movie, they worked. Uh, they weren't really working together well until the very end when they come together. But then it immediately, like you said, it opens up. They're already working as a team, and it's like an interesting new dynamic. Well, because he's so full, he's so like he's full of himself. Yeah, <laughs> he's yeah, really. Yeah, is. I was gonna say that he's like so full of himself that like he just wants to focus on like because he think he's he's like really good. So yeah. he's just kind of like, oh, I'm gonna just keep building things and keep being a good businessman. 
I was kind of, well, the way I was going with it is just, I thought it was really interesting how you saw them acting more, not as, um, they're acting more as people in the second movie. Because obviously you had the party scene, you got to see them off, like, there was more casual. Yeah. The relationships were way more casual. Um, and they, they, I feel like a theme throughout was more just like, what's the word I'm thinking of? Human is it? Like, like more humanized? Yeah, yeah. Like humanization kind of thing. Um, I'll get in with that later with my thoughts on Ultron. But um, I just thought that whole dynamic was really um, interesting shift from the first one. I agree. And I, I think that's part of why I part of me has a soft spot for mm-hmm. this movie or some of this movie because I really like seeing them wearing flannels and yeah. hoodies. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> and like like hanging out at somebody's house and and yeah. maybe again this is revealing about me that like I kind of just want a movie in which they really are friends and like one day they have a nice campfire and they wear their flannels and they share stories with each other mm-hmm. and then um you know some other weekend they go to a really fancy party and that's that's the movie I want to see. Yeah, like just the post credit scene with the shawarma. Yeah, yeah they all yeah. they all have their own floor in the tower. They're all yeah. best friends. They have movie nights. I love this AU. Clint is yeah. climbing in the ceiling somewhere. He's in the vents. Like oh all these different things. I don't know if I like that, Clint in the vents. Oh God, I, I okay. That's listen. like a fandom reference. I don't. Okay. I don't know if you guys would have got that. All right, so that was kind of our, we were going on that path of like talking about the team and comparing it to the 2012 Avengers. Emily, you already mentioned how this movie lays the groundwork in many ways for the conflict that is really going to um, erupt in Civil War and those divisions that already occur in the team um, where some of the pre-existing relationships, right, you can kind of tell who's going to side with who. Uh, Anything else that that you wanted to... Expand upon related to the conflict between Tony and Steve, or that that uh, kind of preview we get of civil war in the scene where they're they're chopping the wood, and then Cap gets so angry he just breaks it with his hands. <laughs> Great scene. That's all I can say. I just love Marvel movies, but they're foreshadowing. Like that's basically mm-hmm. like, like I, everything connects. Like yeah, so nice. I mean, there's like some loose ends that like never really get. Where did the nurse go? I forget her name. But like the really smart Helen? scientist. Yeah, Helen. Dr. Helen Cho. Yeah, she yeah. died. Uh, she's doctor. Yes. Yeah. She where, was did, where did Dr. Helen go? <laughs> woman of color for the significant role. And then they killed her. Did they kill her? Yeah, I'm pretty sure she died. What? Uh, Ultron shot her. And yeah. then I think it was implied. Oh. Oh, they just left her to die. Yeah. <laughs> At that I scene, yeah. I thought she just, she was in like a <laughs> It's like Steve Rogers cradling her. And then he's like, gotta go save the world peace and then that's it <laughs> really that's what happened so they just killed her oh yeah that's so sad in the short time that we do get to know dr helen show though i think she's pretty awesome i like her like low-key not so low-key not so low-key either <laughs> yeah. crush on tour i thought that was pretty funny because i hadn't seen it in a while and i saw her and i was like oh my god i missed her <laughs> like she was she was so good she i think she had like such a nice story and like she was really smart helped them out a lot and i don't know i think she would have been a good character if they kept her going yeah they did her dirty but i guess it wasn't a loose end so that's a bad example (laughs) (laughs) well on i mean you you mentioned foreshadowing and the connections among these movies and i think this was the 11th film that came out in the mcu and i think by this point they were really establishing this web in which it was okay to to maybe miss 
a couple of the movies before, but then like after this point, you start to get more lost as phase three develops because, or, or not that you can't watch it and get something out of it, but that like, as you get into phase three, there's so many connections. So there's some definite foreshadowing in this movie. And it makes me wonder to what extent, like they were aware of where it was going to go next. Um, I did read that Joss Whedon was told to include a lot of the stuff setting up the infinity stones and that he didn't necessarily want to put so much emphasis on that, but that that was something that, you know, they had in mind of where it was going to go. What do you guys think? Let's let's talk maybe a little bit more about Tony's vision at the beginning. And Rachel, you mentioned the cracked shield. But Cap says the line, you could have saved us. Why didn't you do more? And he delivers it really awkwardly, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really, yeah. really odd. Um, when was this? In Tony's vision at the, oh. toward the beginning. Um, yeah. But I thought, you know, as awkward as that was, the line, you could have saved us. Why didn't you do more? It almost, knowing what happens in Endgame, that hits different. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, when later when Fury says something like when he's talking about how um, like Tony was talking about the vision and, and how it kind of messed with his head. And he was saying, oh, like, you know, I all my friends are dead or, you know, I, I'm the one who killed the Avengers. But he said, but that's not even the worst part. And Fury's like, yeah, well, the worst part is that you didn't like you didn't die. Right, that he was the one who was left, and so I thought that was interesting too—an interesting connection to what ends up happening in Endgame. It definitely like um, the vision that Tony has. It gives his character more depth because I feel like up until that point, it was kind of just like, oh, he's just—he's very full of himself and is like really smart and like owns that he's really smart. But then at that point, it shows how much like the attack on New York actually impacted him which is like a theme that's brought up throughout literally up until Endgame and how how Iron Man 3 he has anxiety and it really shows how much like the PTSD of that event has gotten to him yeah. which which I find that movie really interesting it was it was really important to show how much the past events have actually impacted him instead of just leaving it to the side and being like oh well, he it hurt him a lot yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that's realistic, too, that there would be trauma involved. And I think that's what you were referring to earlier, too, Emily, like when he says to Steve, right, that he doesn't trust somebody who doesn't have a dark side, right, that for him, it's so real that he's living with the trauma, and that he is not really trusting of those who, you know, Steve, and, and I'm definitely like a Steve fan, and I'm I'm team cap when it comes to Civil War, because I think he's aspirational. I, I think that I admire his morality. However, I actually think Tony is much more realistic um, in many ways. And and um, a little bit of this sense of, you know, he, I think Scarlet Witch even, Scarlet Witch reminds Steve that Tony will do anything to make things right and that he's really not necessarily to be trusted. And I, I think that, that that does read as realistic if you've been through all of the experiences that he has, that the reason why he would want to invoke Ultron. And I I think he is selfish in a lot of ways. Like, I think he can be a very selfish character, but I don't know if his decision to try to, quote unquote, end the fight or end the mission of the Avengers is really selfish. I think it maybe is more just uh, motivated by his desire to um, not have to have, you know, for him and all the people he works with to not have to do that work anymore. I don't know. What do you think? 
He was definitely motivated by emotion in this movie because mm-hmm. it brought up all the past trauma that he was dealing with. Because, like, the first Avengers was kind of just, like, um, like a moment. And then he was like, okay, it's over now. But then it, this movie, he realized it's not over and it'll be far from over. So it's kind of just him being driven by that emotion of, like, I need to end it as soon as I can to, like, bring peace to it. He's definitely <laughs> a very emotional character, Tony, who is trying to do good, but his good always leads to a problem. And then he pushes himself even farther to fix that problem that he created. And so um, I think part of him creating Ultron was not that he was trying to fix the problems in the world, not that he created them, but I think he may feel guilty in some way by being a war profiteer and then realizing what had happened unknowingly and then kind of putting forth that, I need to fix this. I need to make the world right. Um, I need to do better. Stuff like that. And it got kind of like misguided at a point where he was kind of like, let's do this for science. And he lost where he wanted to go, I think. Yeah, I think that's well said. And he even says at some point, I think when he was talking to Fury about the vision that he, not the vision, the character, about the vision that he had. Um, that he he saw the end of the path that I started us on, right? Like he really sees himself as if it wasn't for me and my actions, this team of people wouldn't be here. Like they wouldn't be in this mess. And I think that's kind of interesting because again, on the one hand, like maybe he's too full of himself for thinking <laughs> it's all about him. But then on the other hand, he really does carry a lot of that guilt and that weight. And I think it can be both at the same time. Yeah, he's definitely narcissistic for believing that all the world's problems can A, be fixed by him, Mm -hmm. but also B, have been caused by him in some way. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's admiral that he wants to fix it, but that kind of conflicts with his sense of being realistic. He's very um, unrealistic in sense of the future, but in other times he is realistic with trying to during Civil War, he's trying to be realistic, but then here he isn't. It goes back and forth. He's mm-hmm. very duality of man. Yeah, duality of Iron Man. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to share a brief, brief history lesson, if I, if I may, <laughs> if you will allow it. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, the line that Tony says to Bruce when he, before they go ahead and create Ultron, is peace in our time. And then Ultron echoes that later. And uh, that line, Peace in Our Time, was used by the Prime Minister of the UK, Neville Chamberlain, in 1938. And if you know anything about what happens in Europe uh, shortly thereafter, um, you know that it's quite the opposite of peace in our time. And um, that statement was made by Chamberlain related to the Munich Agreement, which, if you remember, was essentially um, the decision by the British and others to have a policy of appeasement toward Hitler, which ended quite ironically. So I I think that that was a a really cool intentional use of the irony of Tony Stark saying peace in our time before unleashing something that would cause quite the opposite. I think that makes me dislike Tony because I'm projecting my own dislike of Neville Chamberlain onto him now. <laughs> like that connection. Okay. I'm sorry I did that to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're at it. Does anybody want to say anything else about Ultron? 
Oh, I know you want to say something yeah. about Ultron Brooke. Okay. Well, I what I thought was really interesting. I had actually before I was watched sat down watch this movie. I had just come out of my animation studio class, so I had my brain like my animation brain was still going, and immediately what I found fascinating was just the rig for this character where it was so fluid throughout the movie and it was so human-like that it was like very creepy Mm -hmm. and it's what i found interesting was like when he was first born you know he was all like made up of mixed parts and he was all like broken down um and that's when he's like first waking up and like throughout as he's like gaining consciousness throughout and becoming more like dare i say human in a way he's like his movements are becoming way more fluid and i just thought that was like and animation-wise, very, very impressive, because when you're, like, think about animating a robotic rig, you would never, I guess, you would never add, like, squash and stretch is a term in animation. You would never add that to, like, a robotic thing, because you want it to be, like, mm. mechanical. I th- even did research, and I saw that the rig that they use, apparently they had, like, many separate rigs for him. But the rig that they use had, like, over 600 facial controls, which is not something you'd wow. think for, like, a robot to have and they like even added squash and stretch which what it is it's just like it when you have like a human rig or like some sort of like character when you want it to move you'll add a squash like a brief second of squash and then what we call stretch is when it just like shows the movements Mm. to make it fluid looking and make it look natural um and i read that they did that a lot and i was just really really impressed i was like oh and for its time like i know that's really drastic to say for its time for something that came out in 2015 but like technology like that is like advanced like rapidly and then at the end well when he dies i assume or like loses ever everything when he's more yeah when he's more um yeah when he's more you know spare parts again yeah 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 you see that again he's more mechanic as it's ending i don't know i thought just the evolution was interesting and as he grew stronger and grew more human he was more fluid that was like the main thing i was paying attention throughout and like also if you like look throughout all the other like robots throughout that like are all over they're not as fluid moving even yeah. the iron man rig even the iron man suit isn't as fluid as his as his character was i thought that was really interesting it just yeah. made it super eerie it was like it was just like it was creepy but i really enjoyed it yeah that's fascinating yeah so thank that's you what, for sharing yeah. that and I was apparently a little fun fact because I, I did I did read an article. Uh, I might have to double check. What I read was that you know the scene where he's first in the church, where right. um, the darkness. Apparently the um, rig wasn't polished yet, so that's why he's a uh, his face is covered because they didn't have that didn't have that developed yet. So they had to work around that. Wow. Yeah. It was just very like it was crazy. Even the proportions of the. Um, of the character itself it was just like it really brought like a sense of life to him yeah he wasn't alive it was just really crazy to me it works in in establishing that creepiness mm-hmm. i agree it also doesn't hurt that he sings that really creepy pinocchio yeah song. that's I also was another thing say, that was that's the another thing if you want to tie that movie. to animation too <laughs> i mean that was yeah. like cool to think about the pinocchio it was just really it was like ooh, he just it really wigged me out the whole time especially when he's like in the beginning that very like when he first is uh born I yes. guess that whole thing where he's like dripping oil, he's yeah. all like mangled. It was like, ooh, it was creepy. The way his face was contorting and moving as he was speaking, like he didn't have a nose, obviously. He didn't have like eye sockets. He didn't have, but like it looked like he did. I was like really captivated by that. 
Yeah, I think that's fascinating. And I don't know, did you, do you know anything about um, what they use for characters like the Hulk with, when it comes I'm, to the CGI? So I'm not entirely sure. I would think, I would say they probably do like something similar to motion capture. Oh, okay. Where they like, probably, they do, they probably have like a, a rig uh, that they attach to a motion capture so that the actor that's in the suit is doing all the movements so they're not like animating it per se but when you have a rig like ultron i'm they might have done like motion capture probably for his like basic movements i'm not entirely sure um but just with the facial movements right. it's an entirely different thing so that is what i was like really like that's what was creeping me out mainly the facial movements the body like obviously you could probably attach it to that like, because they have millions of dollars budget or whatever attach it to like the most expensive motion capture and get like human movements for that so that's right. like, the thing but when they were doing the face, the face. that's where i was like oh because he doesn't have a nose to attach it to an actor's nose or he doesn't have like a right. chin or like all of that that was just what was like really crazy to me cool um, so kind of going back to the Pinocchio comment <laughs> where we mentioned, been waiting, but um, I really like the Pinocchio comment. And at that point when he's in the church and everything, kind of like around then, mm-hmm. um, because Pinocchio's whole thing is that he wants to be a real boy. He wants to have yeah. this autonomy. He doesn't want the strings attached anymore. And that's Ultron's beginning. He doesn't want to have these strings to Tony Stark or Bruce. Um, he wants to, like, get rid of Jarvis. He wants to be his own autonomous self. And so just that kind of parallel connection I really like. And I like that they kind of, like, threw that in there with the clip playing mm-hmm. from Pinocchio. Yeah. He's also, it. like, very, like, creepy in the sense that, like, he could be anywhere. Like, yeah. in the beginning, like, when they were, like, when they killed him and then he was doing the whole Pinocchio thing. And that was just him releasing into yeah. like the wild pretty much and like going into everything that's like yeah, technology he went, he went into the internet right yeah so he can just that's why they had to block him off at the end yeah go that's anywhere that's terrifying yeah. especially like in today's society where like just like that like he could be anywhere yeah. i feel like in the mc there's a lot of big bads but he definitely wigged me out like one of the most it's just like like you said just the knowledge he could be anywhere and then he had all those minions he could just create with a snap of his finger. It was just crazy. Definitely playing on the fears of uh, data mining mm-hmm. yeah, and 110%. the fear of our information being anywhere and people having access to it. Yeah. Um, and kind of this like foreign body having access to it, mm. which for us would be kind of like a different country or kind of straight out of from current times TikTok in China. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, true. So kind of this playing on that fear then, which is kind of timeless and I imagine will be timeless for us as technology continues to advance. Mm. Really interesting stuff, guys. Yeah. Wow. And like what's kind of funny, it's just a little sidetrack, is watching these movies now, now that I'm in my major, I can't look at it in a lens that's separate. Oh, I can see like Oh, like, you know, the elevator where it's, like, all, like, you see all the wires. Oh, that's a model. I know how to do that. Oh, cool. I know how to do that. It's really cool now. I get to just, like, see what I'm going into. I just think it's a really cool perspective now that I have yeah. all of these movies. Mm-hmm. For really me, cool. as a social work major, mm-hmm. I now look at the cars crashing, and I'm like, oh, what if they don't have insurance? <laughs> like, yeah, see? It's, and like, so it's crazy. all now these really- different things where I'm like, oh, no, how would I fix that problem? Or how would I help this person? I can't get out of this lens. It's yeah, like it's a curse and, even and like, a blessing, but like see any kind of tragedy, I'm like, 
that like I have so much like sympathy right then in that moment and like dude that's gonna ruin them for like a year (laughs) it's so interesting that you're you're both bringing this up because I that's that's part of uh what I hoped to get out of this conversation Mm -hmm. with having you all here, like as people who are in the middle of the intensive study of a something that one is in college and that um, you could bring those eyes to it. So it's really interesting to hear that as you're so immersed in it, like it's, it's, you don't have to try to bring that lens to it. It's just there. And Rachel, I'm curious if (laughs) that's true too, in terms of education. (laughs) Yeah. I've noticed it more in movies with my English concentration, because like, especially with a focus in like creative writing, I can, I think about how the script was written and like how the dialogue Mm. is written and how characters like interact with each other. The words that a character uses says so much into like who that character is and with education too because i have to learn about psychology with education i know what they're saying by the english with the dialogue and then i understand why they're saying it with the psychology behind them so that's like my lens that i bring to the table i'd say like another thing for me is also cinematography is a big thing like i'm learning you know i have to learn a storyboard so basically another something they actually show us is like storyboards and pre-production of marvel movies like this Mm -hmm. and they show us basically like a storyboard is the whole draft of the movie so it's all the camera angles everything so it's interesting watching movies like this can pay attention to every angle one of my favorites i don't know if it was in oh god i don't know if it was in the second it might have been in the first event or the second one is where the camera was actually in the car as it got like thrown or like hit out of the way so like the actual camera was in the windshield of the car and that was like the perspective but like stuff little things like that is just really interesting to pick up on now especially i think honestly last year I, I mean, I wasn't in my major immersed yet, but like I didn't notice nearly as much last year. And I guess now that since it's 24-7 school, even like if I were in the city, like if we didn't have this going on, I wouldn't be 24-7 in it. But now that like my brain is totally immersed, it's hard to not like separate it. And I think that's, yeah. I'm not mad about it. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I'm going to now watch every Marvel movie now and like just pick out little things like that. It's just really interesting. Yeah, I also have this cultural lens where mm. I keep knowing abuse of power mm. and overuse of violence. And it makes it very hard to watch these movies sure, because yeah. I keep thinking, if I'm in this universe, I would despise the existence of these characters. They are vigilantes. They're going around. They're wrecking all these buildings. Mm. Oh, my God. Like, all these people's <laughs> lives are all displaced. Like There's probably like a huge homeless population in this world. Yeah. Like There's so much that infuriates me as just a citizen but then i'm like it's fake it's fine yeah yeah Yeah. i feel like we like them so much because they're not real yeah like we we can put them on their pedestal because like we can just overlook the bad things they've done Mm -hmm. like we're like oh well they did destroy that entire village but they saved the movie well yeah you even saw that like (laughs) you saw like that in the beginning when they had um well, obviously, it was a hydro facility, so people in the village aren't, aren't going to take take kind to the Avengers. But you saw, like, when they had, like, the rescue robot come down, they were all hating on it. Yes. And, like, abusing it. And, like, they were, like, the murals of, like, the, you know, like, the, um, the, uh, what's it called? What's it called? When you, like... Avengers? Ruin, no, when you ruin a mural. Yeah. <laughs> like the, it, uh, it was face-to-face. Face-to-face yeah. face. murals. So you already have, like, people 
And even like at the end of the sec- the first Avengers, you had the news clips going by, and you had people questioning it then. So you yeah. like you have people with that mindset. I thought that was really interesting. I do like how they how they bring that in, and how the, yeah, the people of Sokovia would would not particularly have any love for no. these superheroes. I mean, first of all, they're and you see this more in Civil War too. They're associated with being an American outlet, even if they're not entirely that um or or that if they're not part of the american government but they're it's almost seen i could see how it would be seen by uh sokovians as being american interventionism into their homeland and that they wouldn't really have um much love for that stark industries always Mm -hmm. messing things up that's why wanda and pietro obviously are you know ready to side with ultron at first at least so I think that's interesting. And the other thing had me thinking, Emily, when you're talking about this destruction, um, that <laughs> an abuse of power, that Stark's company is then the one that benefits from cleaning it up, right? When yeah. he's in the Hulkbuster suit and causing all the destruction, and he mentions the Stark Relief Foundation. Like, of course you have the Stark Relief Foundation, which is cleaning up the messes created by Stark, you know? Yep. So there's that. <laughs> kind of um, going back to what you were saying about how it's this kind of like invaders you can even say coming into this new like the invading Sokovia in a sense or at least they've been seen as invaders by Sokovia but they don't recognize that Mm. until an American citizen dies in civil war Mm. and that's when they realize that something's bad and it kind of reminds me of the sinking of the oh the Lusitania yeah that we don't really care until it's american citizens and so it's a big protect your own kind of like sense that america has and that's definitely evident in these movies really interesting you know sometimes it's like i i don't know sometimes you need the escapism of yeah. uh like yeah. something that's like that you can just take at like face value is that the right term like right. that you could just you could just watch it and then be like, oh, I like these characters. And then you can just kind of ignore what's going on just so you can escape into like watching like a show. <laughs> and I think that's why I love my, um, <laughs> I keep bringing up my alternate universe of the friends <laughs> yeah. around Are the you campfire. Right? You, should, you should write this. Yeah, can you write this just for us? Because like that's, yeah, I just, you know, they're wearing flannels and hanging out. Yeah, I liked it. I really did enjoy the <laughs> let's, whole let's like. Let's play with friends kids. Yeah. So I did want to kind of on that that topic of like how the Avengers would would not be seen as heroes in our world today from the perspective you're coming at it, Emily, and um, thinking about, you know, from the perspective of people in Sokovia or the people in Wakanda and things like that. Um, there is, I, I, I think, to the credit of this movie and to Joss Whedon's writing, I think that there you can kind of see that struggle, that conflict um present in this movie and like you said Brooke too like the the groundwork is laid a little bit in the news clips at the end of the first mm-hmm. Avengers that like people wouldn't blanket accept these people as heroes and um uh it, in this movie there's there's this motif of the Avengers calling themselves monsters or other like yeah. you know oh ca- my god yeah <laughs> Natasha's a monster because she can't have kids right oh my god no that like- what was that line and then yeah. We'll yeah. So I, I, yeah, I definitely want to want to come back to that. All the all the yeah. Natasha Bruce weirdness, but yeah, oh that, <laughs> that was one example of her saying that, that she's a monster too, and it was related to her forced sterilization. And so, yeah. oof, that's that's rough. Um, but it comes up a few times, like Vision 
says something about, uh, you know, maybe I am a monster. And even Cap says, you know, when he gives his rah-rah speech before the final battle, um, Ultron thinks we're monsters, that we're what's wrong with the world. And this is about whether he's right. So I, I feel like that that's part of why I like Cap. I think that he's willing to to engage with that struggle of like, maybe why he's maybe worthy. Yeah, exactly. Right. Like maybe we aren't unlike Tony, right? Well, I believe I know what's right and I know how to fix this. Right. He, he is willing to question like, maybe this is not what's right for the world. But I, I thought that that motif of um, the Avengers as, as monsters was interesting. And then there's also language that comes up throughout the movie about it being a job. And I thought that was interesting too. A lot in this movie, more than any of the others, they talk about, we've got a job to do. This is our job. And I don't know. I would think that 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 they wouldn't necessarily refer to it as, as a job, which has a connotation of like something that maybe you begrudgingly have to do as opposed to, um, you know, a calling or a mission or a purpose. So kind of going off how Tony created Ultron so they can all have a rest, that kind of I feel like also kind of goes with this sense of obligation mm. that they want to pass off and that for Steve, it's not his job. It's his life. Cause he's literally woke up in this new century and this is the only kind of roots he has down. So while the rest of them, they can have this break. Um, whereas Clint, he has a family and this is his day job. Mm. Um, Natasha, her job is a spy. Assume she has an apartment or something. And so, (laughs) probably. She's an aunt. (laughs) Um, And so, for all of them, they all have... Or Tony, he has two jobs. Working two jobs in this economy. Like, he's Tony Stark. (laughs) What? (laughs) But it's interesting. Because there's definitely the job aspect. But for some, like Steve, it's more than just a job. Yeah, with that being said, like, I I know that sometimes they interchangeably use the words job and mission... Which can definitely be, like, two different things. Right. Like, they ref- – I guess it just depends on, like, their mind state. Like, I know that um, Steve uses the word mission a lot, but as Emily said, it's, like, it is a mission for him. It's not just his job. It's all he has because he he gave his life up so that way he could be the hero while everyone else kind of just – became heroes but still have like like clint like they he still has his family like he didn't make a choice he just kind of settled for the in-between that's interesting i it gets me thinking about this question of and and we talked a little bit about this in, in the avengers episode who is giving up the most in order to be a part of this team to be an avenger who is gaining from it and I think that in a way, um, and Ultron even kind of says this to Steve in a very cynical way of like, you would be nothing if it weren't for war, right? And that's a sad way of looking at it. But at the same time, I think I think you're you're right. I think you're speaking to the fact that he he's had a lot to to gain from being part of the Avengers because it's a chance for him to form new relationships, to form a new family and some connection to this world that he was unceremoniously thrown back into when he made that decision to sacrifice himself, he made the decision to sacrifice himself, not expecting that he would come back like 70 (laughs) years later. Right. And, um, which, you know, and Colleen and I, very heavy. Colleen and I talked about this in the Avengers episode too. A lot of similarities with Buffy. Buffy does something similar. I get what you're talking about. Like for the hero to make that sacrifice, like, okay, come back. 
Right. That's just like, why am I here? I'm like, I don't know. That's just exhausting. Right. It's like, this wasn't the choice I made. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I think that is Steve's trauma, even like, though he doesn't speak to it that often. Yeah. Both times, neither had a choice to come back either. So it's yeah. just like... Someone else made that choice for exactly. you. Um, I feel like that's another reason why he clings on so heavy to Peggy in her old age. And then also finding Bucky. Yeah. And both of those people, they both tell him, no, you have to live, be able to live without us. Like, Bucky runs away from him. So, like, Steve has to run by himself. Peggy says, have a life. I've had my own. Go do this. And so it's him coming to terms with having to be his own person without someone else. Like, he's not able to be dependent. He has to yeah. lean on someone, I feel like, just as his character. Like, he leaned on the war while he was Captain America. He leaned on Bucky growing up. He leaned on Peggy as, like, a romance. And so it's very, it's a very isolated character. Absolutely. And so that's the reason why I love Sam and his relationship so much. Um, also because of Sam's loyalty, which is kind of mentioned in this movie, where Cap is going off and doing all these heroic things, and Sam is just going um, to dead ends trying to find mm. this guy he just met long lost best friend like that's like some real loyalty you must really like each other yeah no thanks for bringing that up i love their friendship and yeah not not enough of it in this movie but just enough to to like it's somebody for for steve to bounce off of who really gets him in a way that the others don't and there's that um kind of motif of home that they talk about and and uh right he makes the comment about not being able to afford a place in brooklyn and mm -hmm. like just this idea like what would be home for him which is really interesting and of course in, in his vision that he gets from scarlet witch too peggy carter says to him something like the war is over we can go home but like what would what would that mean for steve like what is home i'm pretty sure sebastian stan was supposed to be in that but they couldn't get him for filming oh really uh, so yes. not enough bucky indeed very yeah. sad <laughs> i just counted the three words on my fingers for for uh, our listeners yeah um, all three for all four <laughs> not enough bucky oh indeed <laughs> uh, <four. laughs> are you counting over there no i wasn't <laughs> i was just looking, making sure it's four no i was just looking at the graffiti i did on my hand but yeah, okay okay oh Your my hands defaced. defaced oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, We're doing great with our words today. Right? Yeah. I also think that maybe, you know, I and we talked about this in the Avengers episode, um, that <laughs> Natasha is somebody who I think gains a lot from this experience of being being an Avenger. It's, you know, Clint is clearly her family. And, and sure, they, they met and worked together as, um, you know, people who worked for S.H.I.E.L.D. as opposed to Avengers technically at first. But um, that's I think it's the only family that she has and it's friends for her. And it's clearly um, when she says the line, I had this dream that I was an Avenger, that I was anything more than the assassin they made me, right? That's her speaking to what being an Avenger has done for her in terms of her re her redemption story. And uh, and I, I think that's powerful. And I'm, I'm a big fan of Natasha, but I'm not a big fan of her interactions with Bruce in this movie. Mm. <laughs> oh my God, him falling on her boobs. Oh my oh God. My God. <laughs> so inaccurate that she didn't freak out right away yep like yeah especially I'd for her like i feel if that like yeah i feel like i don't know that just did not sit right with me I, f I feel like the relationship that they could have had 
if it had the right like development because the romance like it didn't feel entirely yeah, out felt, of place it but it just it felt weird in the movie like yeah. the, i liked how they had the whole like the sun's getting real low like that whole, <laughs> yeah. that whole thing like oh my that God. was and then that was thor repeats that later on <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah they also make fun of it in deadpool but um <laughs> But I, I like I liked that whole thing. I just I feel like it was so stupid to kind of put it in one movie and then end it because of Ragnarok. Like because yeah. doesn't he he dis he disappears and then he ends up like they explain where he has been in Ragnarok, right? Like right. isn't that how that yeah. relates? Okay, so like I feel like it was really weird to introduce it and make it really rushed and make it like oh we yeah. can't we're forbidden lovers our lives are too <laughs> different we're both monsters let's just yeah, back really? off. Yeah. And Neither one of us can have kids for yeah. very different reasons. Yeah. But yeah. Like okay. Which means we can't be together. They're both at very different points in their lives. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Bruce wants to settle down, Natasha wants to keep fighting together. Mm. Yep. So like yeah. there's that difference where especially when Bruce is like we can run away now. They don't need us. And she's like that. She pushes him off the edge because she yeah. needs Hulk, and so it's this difference and lack of communication between what they want to get out of a relationship. And I kind of also feel like Bruce's ending in this movie um, kind of hints at his version of the breakup that he shuts off um, the her video camera because we know hulk has saved bruce from suicide attempts um so i think this is just hulk saving him from a heartbreak wow that's like i think that's what that is and so he's kind of like saving him getting him away from his base nature wow which is anger which is a weird thing yeah I'm, I'm, i'm reflecting on that that's a really interesting point on the topic of natasha too i think there's also a a sad irony to her scene with Steve when they're looking over the flying city rock. Uh, those positions. So weird. <laughs> Just um. the way they're standing. Like, her back is, like, contorted. And then he's oddly placing, like, one leg up. That does not look comfortable in that suit. <laughs> no. Like That's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> Neither of them look comfortable. Great friendship. Yeah. Not not the scene. <laughs> they do have a great friendship. And I think her choice to kind of push Bruce away, quite literally, mm-hmm. and then to stand by Cap, also quite literally. <laughs> um, and then, you know, to be the person with, with, with Steve who, you know, uh, are the ones to go ahead and assemble the new Avengers. I think that speaks to where she's at. And as you were saying, that she's in a different place than Bruce. Um, and I also think, again, this this kind of sad irony of her saying to Steve, and I think their morality lines up here about how, you know, they, well, she says to him that they may have to sacrifice everybody who's there with them for the greater good of, of the people below who are going to be destroyed if, if this rock hits the earth. And that, you know, obviously, like him, she's willing to give up her own life. And she says, um, there's worse ways to go. Where else am I going to get a view like this? And I just think... In light of what we know in Endgame, mm-hmm. like it's almost kind of similar imagery, yeah. and it's just really sad. And I, I don't think there's any way they plan that that far in advance, but I just it just made me sad. Yeah, another thing that made me sad about Natasha's ending as a character was that going back to this fertility and her mm-hmm. ending that makes it so sad is that they talk about like, did she have any family? And like, we were her family, mm-hmm. and just that. 
not being able to have your own biological family, but your found family. And so at that moment, I kind of feel like it signifies her having found her family um, on that rock with Steve. Like that is her family in that moment. And so I kind of feel like that was that was like Natasha's character development in the movie. It was like having her found family and stuff. That's kind of how I like to see it in that moment as well, just as a more positive spin. Yeah. But also very sad because they are both both characters are very ready to die at many times. Yeah. Which is a very dark theme. Um, can you put a trigger warning on this episode? Because I have mentioned death and suicide multiple times. Sure. <laughs> so thinking about Natasha's, uh, you know, not to jump too far ahead in thinking about Endgame, but I obviously my, my brain went there when we were talking about her story in this movie. And uh, thinking about how how she meets her end in that movie. And the character who gets to live is Clint. And... Similarly, in this movie, Clint is the character who seems throughout the movie that he's set up that he's going to die. As if you know Whedon and his writing, you could see the cards laid on the table like, oh, we haven't gotten too much personality out of this character before. We've never really like, you know, really seen who he is and what his motivations are. And wow, he's got kids. We're going to kill him, right? It, it felt like that's what Whedon was going to do. But then he didn't. And um, instead, Pietro dies. I, you know... I don't want to come off as a Clint hater because I'm not a Clint hater, but I also don't have as much of a connection with him as I do with other characters. And I was just curious about that. Like why this decision to let Clint live multiple times in the MCU? I have no idea because (laughs) I will proudly say that I am a Clint hater. (laughs) Well, no, I just think him as a character, he just hasn't done, done anything for me to deserve to continuously thrive throughout these movies. Um, I do have to say, though, the addition to giving him a family did did make me a little soft. Just just a little bit, but I yeah, don't know. I mean, How's that effect? Yeah. We get his daughter out of it. Yeah, I mean, true. Though we ended this up getting, like, great. into a weird moment of, like, Clint is nothing without his family. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that's what it became. Because, like, when the events of Infinity War happen... And his family gets snapped away, and yeah. then he's left alone. He becomes an assassin. Yeah, like he beca- that's like that's so out of his character. Yeah, I feel like- that it's like did did he really learn no- nothing from having a found family too? Like yeah, he, just- instead of sticking with the people, he was he was like, oh, I'm nothing without my family. Like I can't go on without my family. It's like and the it's, inverted Natasha story. Yeah, yeah. it was yeah. really it, like Endgame was really interesting in that sense that like everything that they established in Ultron like came back. Captain America wanting to, like, go back to, like, where he was, like, initially, yeah. like, giving up, making the choice between the the war, his, like, life, and then after the war was over, he decided, I want to go back to my life. Iron Man not wanting everyone to die, so he sacrifices himself. That's the, that's what happens in Endgame. Yeah. Like, it's like every character has their, like, roundabout moment, Age of Ultron to Endgame. Yeah. Their character, I feel like they have character arcs. They're just all very sad endings. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's like you had all of this like personal growth and it brought you nowhere new. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like it's this really sad thing to reflect on that like for Steve, you have all of this personal growth, but he's still not able to let go of this dream of what could have been. And it's just that like kind of pain of looking back on where he was in Age of Ultron to where he goes in the future as a character. It's just 
same for Tony. Like, he also has, like, a very sad ending, um, both literally but also just as in terms of character. Because, again, yeah. very little, pers- like, huge personal growth, no change in your outcome, though, from where you started. It's really so sad I feel when like, you think about it like that. Yeah, same for, like, Natasha. Like, yeah. she's always been ready to give her life on the brink of death, um, most movies. And so it's this, this is where she started. She had family, found family in between. That still wasn't enough for her. And so, very tough. Oof. Gosh, Sorry. yeah. <laughs> no, but you're right. Emily, you're on the same wavelength yeah. as me. I was thinking the same thing. You're absolutely right. She's articulated it better. But yeah. <laughs> no, no. I, I Part of me wonders if I should cut some of this and put it into the Endgame episode. But I, I think rather than do that, I, I think we'll keep this conversation in the Ultron episode and Make give, it give plenty yeah. spoiler wording for Endgame as well. And then um, maybe I'll call you guys again to get some additional thoughts when I get to Endgame. You know, the I will say with regard to Clint, well, picking up on what you were saying, Brooke, we did in the previous Avengers episode, Colleen and I, we discussed which of the Avengers would be the... Um, you know, closest equivalent to which of the Buffy characters. <laughs> and so I, I made an argument for Clint as Xander. Can I hear that? <laughs> I really want to hear that. The episode has not been released yet, by the way, if you're listening I, at the time of this recording. So, uh, yeah, so my argument for Xander was both like the harshest part of what I had to say was he's the ordinary one who is kind of useless mm-hmm. and the rest of the team has to hold him up. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretending we need this guy really brings the team together. Oh, 100%. Clint, <laughs> the only one that they don't give, like, some kind of hint at an origin story. Like, they did his character so dirty compared to the comics. Like, he was a disabled icon who was in a circus. Okay, I also, yeah, I wanted to What? To he had great one-liners in, like, every comic that I've ever read with him in it. And what happened? Yeah, I don't I don't know why that they didn't incorporate more of his comic origin. Um, because I know he was a deaf character, which is really interesting, but and, and makes more meaning to the idea of being Hawkeye, right? And being able to see. But that being said, the way Yeah, for him it's just purple and arrows. Like Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. So my right. So my harsh, harshness, I should say, is not against the, the comic character or what the character could have been. And I do even enjoy some of his moments. So the the kinder side of my Xander comparison was that that he is the one who sees. Right. They make that reference um, about Xander and Buffy, and that he he is the one who like he's the heart and all of that. Right. So you can come at it with that kind perspective. I just um, I think because I don't like Xander for many reasons, and this is not a Buffy podcast <laughs> yeah, yet. Yeah, we, we won't. We won't so I won't get... <laughs> not you yet. know. Oh, I know why. Because that's definitely yeah. the same reasons why I don't like him. But Yeah. But so maybe seeing him as a, as um, an analog in a way to Clint has made me um, not be as fair to Clint. Mm-hmm. But what I will say, I do like the scene between Clint and Wanda. Very interesting relationship, because their bond is surrounded the idea of their connection to their own families. Like, yeah. they connect over Wanda and her brother oh, um, yeah. in that, that scene when he, like, pulls her into safety and is like, hey, you can stay here. I'll have your brother come to you. Yeah. Um, and I kind of like how they handled that, though, because it was a I don't need no man to save me kind of thing. I liked that. Um, but kind of just going off that they both choose to put the world before their family and their own selfish desires and then Clint retires later on, but 
yeah. at this point. Yeah. This is where they are. And so their connection and their bond is over their love for their family and their subsequent loss over it as well. Hmm. I also yeah. found Wanda really interesting because she was re- like her and her brother were referred to as the twins. Like no one mentioned their names. Mm. So then when he died, it was kind of like she lost half of herself. Yeah. Which is what makes her character development in later movies so impactful. Yeah. It's like she has to try to find herself again. I have a quick question. Just You don't have to put this in, but just a genuine question. Because mm-hmm. I don't remember. But does she have an accent in the later movies? <laughs> Great question. No. <laughs> she totally starts to drop it, right? Okay. Like, I like, feel she, like there's a little she bit becomes of it. Americanized. Yeah, but you don't become that assimilated that fast when you, when you grew up in it. Like, I feel like it wouldn't go away that fast. I was like yesterday years old when I learned that Elizabeth Olsen is Mary Kate Nash's no, sister. Please tell yeah, she's you, you really just realized that. No! You just realized Wait, that? you didn't know that? What else was on your minds that you wanted to make sure we get to? Dominic like Chocolate. I just want to talk about that. The <laughs> no, twins just well, are I, supposed honestly, to be teens. When I was So wait. What'd she just say? The twins are supposed to be teens? Yeah. Wait, what? Really? Oh, I didn't pay. Yeah. I didn't she's supposed to be like 16. That would explain why Clint is a little like um patting her on the head like yeah. calling her a kid. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Really I I okay. They're supposed to be really young. Yeah, it also, right, I think Cap in Civil War says, like, oh, she's just a kid, and she really doesn't look like one, so it's tough, the cognitive dissonance there, but you're, but you're right. Yeah. All right, Pietro, do we like him? I really like I him. I loved him. I, I did. I liked yeah. him. I think I liked his little arc, even though I hate how it ended, because it was just, like, it, unnecessary and so mean, but I, I liked the... the parallel between the beginning obviously his opening line was the same as his closing one that whole Mm -hmm, thing mm -hmm. he didn't really have too much of dialogue throughout the whole movie but i still i don't know i kind of a soft spot same one of my notes i know in your notes brooke you had wanda hart yeah i had um one of my notes i just had pietro was so cool yeah and i think it was in reference to the scene when like that you know cap's giving his speech and so they're they're gonna warn all of the civilians and try to get the civilians of sokovia out oh, I know. Yeah. and then he like he runs in and he's just like everyone out yeah 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 and then, and then he's like, like haha whatever yeah and then he comes back again with then, a gun yeah. I I, that yeah a that was a little a little much but um but yeah get off your lazy asses like okay <laughs> who are you um but yeah i liked seeing him run around I like I like the Quicksilver character, and I know um, he's portrayed and his playfulness. Yes, yeah. yes. Um, I guess childish, but childish. Civil War, they're eighteen, wow. or she's eighteen. There is no there. Um, and then <sighs> Endgame um, in Infinity War, she's twenty. Wow. Yeah. Um, and Pietro, of course, you know, when he makes that uh, very heroic decision to save Clint and the little boy, I know that this connects to a character moment that you're really um, interested in talking about, Brooke. <laughs> Not really. It's just, listen, it really did shift. I hate that it did, but it really did shift my whole <laughs> my whole attitude towards the scene. Only because the child was Dominique Provo Chocolate's child that I just had. I was like, oh no, you can't hurt Dominique Provo Chocolate, so <laughs> therefore his death is okay. And I felt that for a genuine second. But you know what? 
for her whole five second cameo in this movie, it was worth it. How did she run all the way to the ship <laughs> and not bring her kid though? She was like, my kid's still out there. And it's like, how was he back there? Well, she was like, I left him in the market. But like, how did you just leave him in the market? And yeah, speaking, she, of ac- <laughs> speaking of accent work too. Oh, well, <laughs> I think she's gotten a lot better. I think I would say with her accents over the years. For anyone who um, who doesn't know, oh, yeah, if you're not uh, Dominique <laughs> plays Waverly Earp on Winona Earp. Oh. She is a British. <laughs> <laughs> there goes Emily. She's like, oh, that's why Brooke's obsessed. <laughs> I watched like four episodes and I was like, I can't do this editing anymore. I'm going to get it. It's okay. Ahead. It's amazing. Yeah. Anyways, it's just really good if anyone wants to watch it. Wait, just skip all of it and season go to the fourth season. But she even, um, because she was, I find really interesting is that because she was just in this movie for like maybe a minute or two of screen time, yeah. she got invited to the Endgame premiere. <laughs> yes, you were telling me yeah. about that. I was shook. It also, was everyone going ballistic when, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. when like Captain America was worthy to pick up. The yes. yes, that was yes. Yep. And then the portal. We all saw moment. it coming. From, oh yeah. First yeah. of all, and then Age of Ultron, the, he has that like little lift. Yeah, like, yeah. That's that's great. what I, I liked that little foreshadow too. And you know what's funny is I wanted to mention that Vision was able to pick up the hammer. Yeah, yeah. Like what made like well, I feel like the question of worth is such a big thing in the series, not just because of Thor, but just in general. Mm-hmm. Like they're always like figuring out what they're worthy of mm-hmm. and if they're worthy of anything. And then Vision was just able to hold it. So like what made him worthy? I th- like was he not corrupted by anything? Well I so feel like he was I feel like my initial like reaction to that was that since I don't know. This is how my mind processed it at first, is that since Thor is the one that kind of shocked him to life kind of thing, the, the power overload that immediately after he was able to just pick it up, maybe it's because related to that. I don't know. That was my first initial thought, that since Thor yeah, kind of brought him to, to him. life. But I like the thought that since he had technically just been born and kind of done no wrong. Yeah, yeah. And he also, you know, he has the stone and Thor's whole thing, I guess. From what they were talking about yeah. in the Avengers, is like he, like the whole, his relationship with the stones, I feel like that has something to do with it as well. Yeah, That was he, just my he, initial thought. Yeah. He also or, says that quote of like, I was born yesterday. Yeah, That's I was like born one of yesterday. That's definitely one of the my best. My idea of the worthy um, for like why Thor and Steve could do it. No idea how this applies to Vision. Um, Freaking robot. Um, but it was that you want to do good. No, Like, you always strive to do that good um, and make the world a better place. And you have that kind of, like, almost pure way of looking at things. But you also have the ability to take the hard step when no one else wants to. Even if it's, like, violent or mm-hmm. is bad at the moment. It's this, like, ability to do Striving to do good, but the ability to do bad. Mm. Mm, I like that. Yeah, that's really interesting. I I think that can kind of connect if you know we're connecting it to vision like that. I think that's a an interesting take on what are humans before they've been corrupted by their environment, right? Like mm-hmm. capable of bad, right? But hopefully, um, you know, gonna do good. I love Steve's little moment too when like Thor is trying to convince them that creating vision was okay because the mind stone is like you know going to be useful to them or whatever and mm-hmm. they're talking about it like the mind stone and then like Steve like pronoun usage like shifts like he says mm-hmm. it and then he says you like right instead of saying it like referring to vision he says you like are you on our side I thought that was that was a nice moment and I also think I really like vision in this movie I think in subsequent films I I don't think that they 
do with his character what I would have wanted them mm-hmm. to do with his character, but I really like him here. And he just has so many really nice lines um, about humans. And um, he says, there's grace in their failings. A thing isn't beautiful because it lasts. It's a privilege to be among them. That was really, really nice. And it reminded me, um, again, <laughs> to connect to Buffy, of um, <laughs> the character Anya. Oh, yeah. It's very comforting him being like, almost all-knowing and still being positive about humanity mm-hmm. yeah yeah i like that yeah it's like uh the contrast it's like an uplifting look which mm-hmm. i really like in movies like these yeah. because it's just that sense of like inspiration mm-hmm. agreed well that's why like they bring up the thing of him being like kind of naive like that's what i was born yesterday literally means yeah like, being naive <laughs> yeah. and like this is this could definitely be naivety because he's like he's looking at it in like the perspective of like what's like nothing is bad until it's proven bad like nothing like everything is good until he has reason to believe it's not okay so one of shakespeare's sonnets oh oh, so so when you said nerdy you meant yeah like i was going for it here we go um the english the english side of the podcast the heroic couplet at the end of one of them i forget which one it is but it says um lilies that fester smell far worse than weeds so it's kind of saying it i mean it's talking about a bunch of things in the sonnet so it's like up for interpretation but i'm interpreting it as like the lilies are beautiful but they don't last very long and like Mm. in the end they they smell worse than like a weed like people find dandelions so beautiful and they're weeds and they last and they don't Mm. get gross when they die like it's kind of like the perspective like how he says like a thing isn't beautiful because it lasts like it can be beautiful if it's temporary but like or it can be beautiful just having that type of perspective on humanity as well yeah very again comforting yeah to believe we started at bagels how do you think each Avenger would eat their bagel? Ooh. Oh, that's okay. For starters, Somebody Tony needs- would definitely eat an everything bagel. Like, not the way he eats it, but he would just, he would be a person to have an everything yeah, bagel. Yeah, to get, like, like gonna- I feel like he would get, like, oh, bacon, egg, and cheese with, like, he's a sesame guy. He's a sesame bagel. Like, lox and chive cream cheese. That's what Vision eats, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. On a plain bagel, but only, but not, like, together, it's in halves. I know this wasn't the Steve's question, but like, correct me if I'm wrong. But like, I think um, no, I feel Steve like- would eat a cinnamon raisin bagel. Oh, that oh, might hot that's take. his first bagel he ever eats. He couldn't afford bagels, and now that he does, he wants the sweet shit. Wow. Yeah, oh. he wants to wait. He wants the, the issue. The wait, was that an agreement? <laughs> yeah, language. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like actually, though, Vision would eat the bagel like emily said like the skin oh yeah <laughs> yeah on the outside i changed my answer because he doesn't know how to eat a bagel yeah oh definitely <laughs> that's actually right yeah emily i think you eat your bagel like somebody who was born yesterday <laughs> yeah. oh, really? because you eat it inverted and that just makes me feel so like, uncomfortable somebody at stark tower hands vision like a thing of cream cheese and a bagel so he can do and, it and then he goes okay and just puts the cream cheese on top. yeah on the top and like <laughs> He's I feel like, all knowing. Yeah, he's all knowing, but I feel like he's just <laughs> not for bagels. Yeah, not for bagels. I he, also feel like Natasha's the type of person to like rip apart the bagel and eat it. Like, yeah, like yeah. not in any particular order, but just like literally like pull off parts and yeah. just eat it. I can see that. Yeah, she mm-hmm. doesn't like. She's not a neat. She just like rips it apart. Like, yeah. Do you think who eats the Tony's? insides only? Hulk. Oh, <laughs> Bruce Banner. <laughs> eats the Bruce insides Banner. only. He gets a plain bagel, rips it in half, and only eats the <laughs> insides. Clint eats a bagel the same way that Xander eats a Twinkie in season yeah, two of yeah. Buffy. 
like stuffs the whole thing in his yeah, mouth. Yeah, the whole bagel. But it, I feel like no, I feel like he would get those like you know like those Thomas mini bagels. Yeah. I feel like yeah. he would just go like like snacks and just. Oh like- yeah. Um, Tony's the idiot where there's a bagel platter. He'll take one and rip it off in half with his hands and then leave the discarded bit. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Oh. He would. Hands down. Guys, who eats a bagel like me though? <sighs> The obsessive, the obsessive. Oh my god! <laughs> chaotic chaotic energy. Compulsive eating around the edges until like. Oh, get so to the it's middle. not chaotic. It's it's more. It's, it's calculated. yeah. It's more just I need. It's to. like lawful evil. Yeah, it's more. Which if I don't like, do it, I feel I cannot eat it if I don't do it. Like the fact that you said Loki really just makes sense. <laughs> he Loki would though. He'd be so sense. meticulous about it. I think, and I called him, and he is chaotic. But I think I you're right. Him, it though. would be. I love Loki too. I think. The way you eat a bagel appears chaotic, but it's actually methodical. It's actually, and like, I think yeah, it's I, it's, so this was a lot of fun. I really appreciated hearing all of your your takes, hot, cold, lukewarm, on oh, <laughs> bagel, <laughs> on Avengers: Age of Ultron. Before we wrap up, any last comments? I was gonna make a hot bagels joke from no. Somers, but I didn't oh. know how to fit it in there. Oh. <laughs> that would have been so good. Love it. That's great. All right, so thank you guys, and good luck as you continue your studies of all sorts of great things and continue making these great connections with the MCU movies. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, if you ever want to talk about why don't about one of these episodes. If you enjoyed this discussion, please consider leaving a rating and review. You can follow the podcast at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you all got to hear from in this episode, and who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. Music by Demeter Salvia, who you can find on Bandcamp. Thank you for listening, and join me next time for We're Still Friends, Right? A discussion of 2016's Captain America Civil War. <laughs>